Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Family Investment Funds and the benefit of UK authorised fund structures. I'll pass you over to my colleague, Neil Coxhead. Over to you, Neil. Thanks, Ali, and a warm welcome to our latest Waystone webinar, which will focus on the benefits of authorised UK fund structures for families. This webinar has been specifically designed for wealth managers and family offices who wish to explore the use of closely held investment funds for families and their associates. Uh, I'm joined today by three subject matter experts. Firstly, Peter Ball, a tax partner at Bishop Fleming. Peter specialises in advising families who are seeking guidance on how to arrange their personal affairs in the most effective way. Peter works with high-profile entrepreneurs and families with complex multi-generational planning needs, both in the UK and overseas. Secondly, Laura Frout, the partner at McFarlane's. Laura advises clients on the structuring of regulated fund vehicles that allow wealth managers to build bespoke global portfolios personalised for families that will allow a legacy to be created and passed down through the generations. And last but by no, no means least, Rob Callender, my, my, my colleague here at Waystone. Rob works within our authorised corporate director, ACD Business, and has launched a significant number of investment fund structures for families over the past decade. Rob has worked with a number of private clients, family offices and wealth managers, as well as sitting as an advisor within established family councils. So during the course of our conversation, we'll be taking a deep dive into the benefits of authorised UK fund structures for families, including investment options and structuring, tax profiling of family investment funds, creation of single family council, and the role of the ACD and the importance of the assessment of value reporting for families. So without further ado, and to start things off, Laura, can I ask you to provide uh, an overview on the type of UK authorised fund vehicles available, how they're structured, uh, and the appeal of using such fund structures? Yeah, of course. Hi, Neil. Um, yeah, so the first stage when you're thinking about setting up um, a family vehicle is what is going to be the structure of the fund. And most families will tend to be choosing between a corporate vehicle or a trust vehicle. Um, and the corporate option is, is known as an OIC, an open-ended investment company. Uh, importantly, it's got its own set of rules. So it's not like a normal Companies Act company for, for those of, of you who are familiar with, with ordinary companies. Um, it is an investment company and it has its own set of rules. Uh, the investors are shareholders in that company. Uh, so they have no beneficial interest in the underlying assets. And the OIC would be operated by an authorised corporate director, such as Waystone, and a depository would hold the assets uh, on behalf of the fund. So that's the corporate vehicle. Uh, the authorised unit trust would be the other obvious choice for families. Uh, and that is that, that works in a very similar way and for all intents and purposes is, is very, very, very similar. Uh, that would be constituted by a declaration of trust. And investors hold units in the fund and become unit holders rather than shareholders. Uh, and again, it would be managed by a trust manager such as Waystone um, and investments will be held this time by a trustee, but be, performed, be, be performing very similar functions to, to a depository. Um, 
For completeness, there is also a contractual type of scheme, um, although that is tax transparent and not usually appropriate for use by families. So you pick your structure and then you pick your overlay, your regulatory overlay. And there are sort of five key regulatory overlays that are available in the UK and which one you pick dictates um, how robust the investment and borrowing restrictions are on, on the fund that, you, you, that you're going to be running. Uh, now, really, um, one of those is the USITS overlay, which isn't particularly relevant to families. It's the most narrow investment and borrowing powers uh, uh, that are available. And so it, it's not really something you would typically look at in a, in a family structure. Um, and so typically you'd start with, with what's known as a nurse, a non-USITS retail scheme, um, which broadly speaking allows families to invest in listed assets. Uh, you can have a little bit of non-listed in there, a small amount of real estate, um, a small amount of, of commodities, but it is quite restrictive. And then moving along the spectrum, there's such thing as a nurse FAFE, which is the same as a nurse uh, but FAFE stands for Fund of Alternative Investment Funds. And that gives you a little bit more flexibility to invest in other fund vehicles, such as hedge funds. So if a family is, is looking to invest in, in hedge funds, that would be a, a good regulatory overlay to choose. And then there are two more regulatory overlays, um, the Long-Term Asset Fund and the Qualified Investor Scheme, which are much, much more flexible and would be really interesting for families, I'm sure. But the problem with them is that they require genuine diversity of ownership. So it doesn't work to use those structures typically with families because obviously the family members are all um, related. So it's the nurse or the nurse faith for the most part that, that families would typically be choosing. So, so that's that's sort of the, the, the structure and the regulatory overlay. Why even go down this route in the first place? Well, I think it's quite helpful for uh, family planning purposes to offer a, a kind of unitized vehicle like, like a UK authorised fund, because to the extent that there are changes in family members, you know, marriages, divorces, new children, et cetera, et cetera, it's very flexible. You can issue more units. You can take units away from people. Um, it's, 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 it's quite easy to deal with changes in, in family members um, uh, through this kind of vehicle. It also offers family members uh, access to a wider range of assets than they might otherwise be able to uh, invest in on their own. So while sometimes the maybe the patriarch or the matriarch of the family might well be classed as a professional investor for regulatory purposes, perhaps a lot of the family members wouldn't and so wouldn't always be able to access the types of assets that can be held through these types of vehicles. And it also helps in terms of continuity. So these types of vehicles would typically appoint an investment manager in order to, to, to manage the assets of the fund. And you can replace that investment manager. Uh, so if you decide that you don't like the strategy that that investment manager has been pursuing or it hasn't been doing well, you can, you can remove that investment manager and appoint a new one. So, so that's, quite, that's quite useful. And finally, it's really helpful, I think, to have a UK authorised fund from a general credibility perspective. The fund, as I say, will be authorised by the Financial Conduct Authority. So it's quite nice, I think, and comforting um, to have that sort of stamp of approval from the UK regulator in respect of the, the family fund. Brilliant. Thanks, Laura. That's a great start. And uh, a little bit more on the regulatory elements later on. Uh, turning now to, to Peter, just to pick up on Laura's reference to the open-ended investment companies, Peter, 
How would you explain in simple terms the tax profile of an OIC? Oh, thanks, Neil. Um, to explain the tax profile of an OIC, it's worth just talking through the tax profile of holding an investment portfolio direct, uh, so outside of an OIC, to compare and contrast. Um, so outside of an OIC, any gains realised are subject to capital gains tax. Any income will be subject to tax as it arises. And any investment fees, usually with VAT added, are generally paid out of the already taxed income. This position is slightly different depending on whether the investments are held by an individual, in a company or within a family trust. It means that the holder of the investments is open to the impact of any tax changes which could affect their investment returns over the longer term. It's worth bearing in mind that we still have the lowest rate of capital gains tax since the tax was introduced in 1982, other than two years after following the financial crisis, when it reduced to 18%. So comparing this to an OIC, there are three key tax advantages of an OIC. Uh, firstly, if, if, if investments are held within the OIC, the sale of those investments uh, are not subject to capital gains tax, which means that investments can be sold within it at a profit and the gross proceeds can be reinvested by the investment managers. Capital gains tax is only paid when the family member sells their shares in the OIC, not when the individual investments held within the OIC are sold. As, re as a result of this, if it were appropriate to change investment manager, as Laura explained in the future, this could be done without triggering capital gains tax, something which is often a significant barrier when portfolios are held personally. Secondly, there's the treatment of the investment management fees. Within the OIC, these are usually exempt from 20% VAT, which can deliver significant savings. The saving on the VAT could cover the annual costs of maintaining the OIC. Thirdly, although the income generated within the OIC in the form of dividends and interest are still taxed on the shareholders in the OIC as that income arises, the amount that they're taxed on is netted off by the fees from the investment managers and the authorised corporate director. An individual would therefore effectively get income tax relief for the fees, so reducing their exposure to income tax, which from next month will be at a top rate of just over 39% for dividends. Uh, so we help families looking at forming OICs to model how an OIC might fit into and support their wider plans. We factor in and adjust a number of variables to this modelling, including the impact of tax changes, personal profiles, family succession plans, anticipated investment performance and fees, and, and this pre precise modelling is helpful in itself for a family in deciding whether an OIC is appropriate for them. And it also helps the family to stress test and validate their wider plans and objectives. The impact of an increase, the impact of an increase in capital gains tax would have a really significant impact over the longer term on portfolios held outside of an OIC. And over a 20 year period, you could see a significant upside in the value of the investments if held within the OIC rather than directly. Thanks, Peter. And just sticking with the tax theme while you're on the on a, on a roll, what are what are the key tax issues and sensitivities to be aware of? Um, so I'd say a key tax issue to be aware of is that we're focusing today on the UK tax profile, and the overseas jurisdictions can view OICs very differently, particularly in the US. If a family member is potentially looking to, to be, looking to be moving overseas, then it's important to ensure that the tax position is understood and carefully planned for. Um, more generally, these should very much form part of a family's longer term plans, and it is really important to model how an OIC will fit in with the family now and in the future. This should factor in the exposure to estate taxes of whatever form they may take over the next few decades. 
Assuming the investments within York grow in value, then what is invested now could easily have doubled in value over a 20-year period, even with fairly modest annual returns. If 40% of that increase would ultimately be paid over in inheritance tax, it means that if families are exploring establishing an OIC, they need to discuss and agree their family strategy for succession and estate planning, which is often a joint exercise with their tax advisor, their lawyer and their investment advisor. Brilliant. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Rob, just bringing things closer to home, I guess, for you and I in terms of the role of the ACD, perhaps... Uh, I can turn it to you to provide an appreciation of the role of the ACD as well as the the various parties appointed within a fund structure and the respective roles that they play. Absolutely. Thanks, Neil. Um, So authorised corporate directors, um, ACDs, are responsible for the running of an investment fund. They have a duty to act in the best interests of the fund's investors and ensure that the fund is well managed in line with regulations and with the investment objectives and policies set out in its prospectus. ACDs can delegate many of the day-to-day functions needed to keep a fund running, but they retain the legal and regulatory responsibility for all of these activities and must effectively oversee that the activities are being performed properly. Independent ACDs do not have the investment management expertise to manage the portfolios. Therefore, there is a full delegation to investment management firms who will build and run portfolios in line with the family's investment objectives. Under this delegation, the ACD enters into an investment management agreement with the appointed firms where regulatory obligations and expectations are set out. So this oversight has been invisible to investors over the years. However, with the introduction of a new piece of regulation entitled Assessment of Value, families can now access a full independent report prepared by the ACD providing commentary on elements such as performance, quality and costs and charges. So in terms of the third parties, a depository is appointed and oversees the work of the ACD and is responsible for making sure that assets are kept safely for which they often appoint a custodian. Auditors certify that each fund's report and accounts present a true and fair record of the fund such as investment holdings and details of any assets that have been bought and sold in the period. Although it is recognised that there is regulatory uh, requirement for the appointments, as, as I've mentioned, all parties are servants to the fund and therefore to the families that invest in these structures. Thanks, Rob, and we'll come back in a little bit to talk a bit more about the assessment of value and the impact that that's had on the, the ACD. Um, Laura, just picking up on the point you raised earlier, and uh, we know in this industry we're not too far away from the regulator, but uh, can, I, can I turn it back to you just to ask if there are any other regulatory considerations? Yeah, I think one of the biggest issues when we talk to families about setting up OICs is really around the level of control that they're able to exert over the fund, because from a commercial perspective, Clearly, it is the family's fund. Uh, the family wants to make decisions around uh, the mandate and, and you know, be involved in the selection of investment managers, et cetera, et cetera. But from a regulatory perspective, the FCA considers the fund to be uh, that of the ACD. Uh, and that's very important for families to understand. So whilst families can have a say in how, how the fund is run, 
um, they can't really have a complete veto uh, around certain aspects of the, of the way it is run. Um, and so the way that sort of control tends to be documented is, is through what's known as a sponsorship agreement. And, and that agreement will set out um, the extent to which the, the, the families can have a say on, on various aspects of the fund's operation. The other thing to bear in, in mind in relation to these types of structures is that the, the sort of downside of having an FCA authorised fund is that when you make certain changes to the fund, you do sometimes need FCA approval for those changes. And sometimes you do need uh, either to give notice to investors or investor consent. Um, so sometimes certain changes can't be made overnight to these types of vehicles. Sometimes there needs to be a bit of lead in time uh, in order to get regulatory consent for changes. And, and normally that tends to be a month that it takes the regulator to approve changes to a fund. Obviously, the concept of investor notification or investor consent to certain changes is, is a bit of an odd one in this context, because typically the, the changes that have been requested by the family. Uh, but nonetheless, these, these regulatory hoops do need to be jumped through, unfortunately. Um, the only other thing I guess I wanted to mention in this context is that uh, these funds are typically daily dealing funds. Um, they can be uh, weekly dealing or maybe even fortnightly dealing. But what I mean by that is that investors do need to be given the opportunity to get out, to, to sell their, their shares or units um, regularly. And that does mean that a certain level of liquidity is required within the fund. Um, and it's always important to remember that. Um, there's no real ability to, to lock in investors for a long, long period of time. And, and normally that's fine in these family situations, but um, it, it is important to, to remember that that is a feature of these funds. Brilliant. Thanks, Laura. Uh, and just picking up on that, uh, the emphasis there on the on the family and sh shifting gears towards the end investor, the family. Uh, Peter, how, how do you see families using OICs as they plan for their futures? So families are planning for their future factoring in a variety of aspects, whether it be wealth preservation, funding new ventures, uh, succession, tax governance, efficiency, asset protection, et cetera, et cetera. And often families will hold their investments in a number of different pots where they could be held personally in trusts, in investment companies, in pensions, in ISAs. They may have investments with multiple investment managers and they could receive separate investment reports for each of those pots. And this can make it really difficult to stand back and track how those investments are performing. Um, so OICs are essentially akin to a tax efficient wrapper for consolidating investment portfolios. And they can form a, a really key function in helping families achieve their wider goals. And they're certainly not just focusing on tax efficiency. Each family member, trust, company, ISA or pension can hold shares in the OIC rather than holding their individual portfolios. The tax returns for all of the individual family members and entities become much more straightforward overnight, holding just the one investment in the OIC. The investment managers then run their portfolios within the OIC, helping to simplify the reporting and the visibility for the family stakeholders. So the family can see one share price for the consolidated investments, but they can still have visibility on each investment manager's performance in a consistent manner seeing each manager's performance through the lens of the OIC and its consolidated reporting supported by the ACD. And this pooled approach to investments then helps families to work together in tracking and monitoring their investments with the guidance and support of the ACD, who can tailor the information reporting to the family's needs. Uh, 
It can also be a great way of helping to build younger generations' engagement and awareness of investments in a family fund that's in a controlled manner where they can all be involved with it together. So the running of the OIC with the support of the ACD can then really complement and support the family's wider governance plans. The ACD can track and monitor the performance of the investment managers and arrange periodic meetings between the family and the investment managers so that the family are fully informed and updated. The fact that an OIC is open-ended also means that the OIC cannot, is not set in stone at the outset as a family investment company might be. And additional shares can be acquired as funds become available, adjusting to the changing circumstances of the family over multiple generations. So an OIC, it is a regulated investment fund. It has a degree of public visibility. So it needs to be undertaken as a long-term vehicle in a carefully considered way, rather than being viewed as a, a short-term tax efficient vehicle, if you like. Brilliant. Thanks, Peter. Uh, and Rob mentioned in the introductions your experience with, with family councils. Perhaps you can provide an overview on the establishment of such councils in, in relation to the, this type of fund structure. Absolutely. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, there are many fund structures that are set up for families that have multiple investment managers appointed to run the portion of the portfolio. So I guess always in keeping with the relevant rules and objectives, many families choose to diversify the portfolios with the appointment of different wealth managers and also harnessing areas of specific sector expertise. So as Peter correctly stated, the, the ACD will facilitate facilitate those periodic meetings uh, between families and investment managers so that families are fully informed and updated. So do remember that families are getting access to investment managers within a regulated UK fund structure, which is a key consideration in terms of investing in these structures. The ACDs can also provide fund level reporting and walk through findings within the independent assessment of value statement. So to maximise the client experience, a family council will be created and in attendance at these periodic meetings will ordinarily include family members across generations, family associates, appointed tax advisors, investment managers and the appointed ACD on the funds. Families may have wider interests with the parties mentioned above. Therefore, it may be an appropriate forum to discuss other matters depending on the required audience. Brilliant. Thanks, Rob, and uh, thank you to the uh, to, to, for a very detailed conversation. We we covered a lot of ground in the last half an hour. We've covered investment options and structuring, tax profiling, courtesy of Peter's updates, creation of single family council, and of course the role of the ACD. Uh, with that, I'd like to thank you all for attending, and to Peter, Laura, and Rob, specific thanks for sharing insights on family investment funds. If you do have further questions or require further information on this particular subject, it's uh, it's a hot one at the moment here at Waystone. Please get in touch with us uh, and we can put you in touch with the relevant panellists. The webinar has been recorded and we sent round to you all in the next couple of days. The recording will also be available via the, web, via the Waystone website. A trans, transcript of the conversation is also being created and will be shared via the same media. Thanks very much for joining and I wish you a good rest of the day.